1: This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows on Extra Welcome 106. On to the Ben Burnett Three. Show. It is the weekend. I am grateful to have each and every one of you. Things just continue to roll on for President Donald Trump with a massive and decisive victory over former governor and U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley. On Tuesday, the president hung up a crooked number in the defeat of her. He's the first guy running in a presidential Republican primary in nearly 50 years. To go back-to-back with Iowa and New Hampshire, it is widely seen that those two states are different, and they value different things, and different people typically win them, but not in this case Not in the Republican Party and not in 2024. I think Nikki Haley is a very strong candidate. Listen to me. I think she's got a lot of the right answers for the future of the Republican Party. I think this was her opportunity to stay relevant. I think it was her opportunity to cast a vision. I think it was her opportunity to show that she can do well amongst independent voters. And I don't think at any point she necessarily ran to win the presidency. But you've seen people escape and evade Governor Ron DeSantis as he dropped out of the race a day or two before the New Hampshire primary. Candidly, he did pretty well in Iowa, but he knew there was no path forward. I think Haley, in the same way, knows that there's no path forward. It would be hard to be the governor for me, Ben Burnett, in 2024, to know that I was a good governor of the state of South Carolina, that I did good things, I I cut taxes. I expanded educational opportunities for kids. I saw the test scores rise in my higher learning institutions. I saw industries like Boeing and Booz Allen Hamilton and companies like that expand during my tutelage and my tenure as the governor of South Carolina and know that some years later, I would see everybody from Tim Scott to Lindsey Graham to Nancy Mace all just go back the front-running horse. The thing that, this is not political, but it says a lot about the state of politics. I'm the wrong fit for politics. I loved sitting in an elected office, and I realized at that point in in my life that I was like, there's really not as much loyalty to you amongst people that you're helpful to as there probably should be. I can't imagine being Senator Tim Scott who sits in the United States Senate for one reason. Nikki Haley appointed him. Nikki Haley, at this point, is one of two people In Tim Scott's party, running for president. And he had the gall, after bowing out of a presidential race, to wade in and publicly support Donald Trump. That, to me, that's not—I love the guy's politics. That is not something that I don't think I could ever sit there and do. I'd be like, did you know, former Mr. President Trump, that Nikki Haley is one of a handful of people who has actually changed the course of my life? She put me in the United States Senate, where I have done really great things— And I have carried out a lot of what you wanted from an agenda standpoint. And I would sit it out. And I know that Donald Trump would probably be mad. But deep down, I think Donald Trump understands loyalty. And I wouldn't be shocked if he actually thought less of Tim Scott for bending the knee and ultimately coming over and backing my candidacy or President Trump's candidacy to be like, man, that tells you all you need to know. And in the same way, you look at Donald Trump with a lot of these trials that are going on in Georgia, the 19 people that were indicted, you know how many of those that President Trump has contributed to their defense funds? These are people who were loyal to him. Zero. I don't understand if I'm worth that many billion dollars. I'm helping everybody that stuck their neck out for me, even a little bit. And he doesn't. But he demands that type of loyalty in return. And to me, I thought it was very telling at the end of last week when he's clearly bothered by Nikki Haley. And to be honest with you, I don't, if I was President Trump's campaign manager, I would say, dude, this is over. This has been over for six months. Quit talking about anybody else in the race, quit making it personal in regards to Nikki Haley. She is going to die of natural causes in this election you've already got it won, don't talk bad about her, cast your vision, be upbeat, and he won't. He said, at this point, Nikki, birdbrain, Haley, which is a terrible move, like he's going to need her voters, he's going to need her support, and I think she's going to be content to give it to him. She was the UN secretary for Donald Trump. I don't think she thinks poor things of him. She, at certain points, has said, look, we're friends. Her false statements, derogatory comments, and humiliating public losses is demeaning of true American patriots. Her anger should be aimed at the third-rate political consultants that she has, more importantly, crooked Joe Biden, and those who are destroying this country, not those who will save it. I knew Nikki Haley well. She was average at best. She's not one to take on world leaders, and she never did. That was up to me, and that's why they respected the United States. When I ran for office and won, I noticed that losing candidates' donors would immediately come to me and want to help out. This is the standard of politics, but no longer with me. Anybody that makes a contribution to Birdbrain, Nikki Haley, from this moment forth will be permanently barred from the MAGA camp. We don't want them. We will not accept them because we will put America first and always will. That is as tone-deaf a message as you could possibly cast into the atmosphere. Because I already told you, I've told you for weeks if I haven't told you for months, this is over. Nikki Haley is going to run a race the right way. You don't like you don't like her corporatism. You don't like her public policy stances. You think she's wrong to fund the war in Ukraine? That's so be it. You're not going to have to put up with her talking about any of those things for a whole lot longer. But Donald Trump has largely taken a more mild tone in this race over the course of the last several months. He has some softer edges, and yes, I just said Donald Trump has softer edges. But when people show you who they are, believe them. That is one of the patented, tried-and-true messages that I would tell you to carry for your own life. There is nothing that Nikki Haley is going to be able to do, and I think it's a mistake. I think Donald Trump is trying to bully pulpit her out of the race so that he doesn't have to continue to do it. He can go raise money for a general election. I think the kinder, gentler Trump who talks about things that Nikki Haley has that are fair policy games that he disagrees with or totally bounds, But the personal attacks are, are exactly what drive people like that live in my household or live in your household away from the party. And we have to get to a place with two people in this race that we start thinking about being the big tent Republicans again because the MAGA folks are not going to carry a general election all on their own. They need the people like me. They need the people who live in the suburban households. They have, it's not they, we have to actually have them. We have to have 51 or 52% of votes in the general populace. And I think we can get there. Look, this is going to be the first time the Republicans have the actual opportunity to win the popular vote contest because President Biden is unpopular. And I want to beat people by touchdowns. I don't want anybody in Pennsylvania or Arizona, or Georgia, or any other state to have the opportunity to sit there and play any sort of games. I want it to be a resounding beating on behalf of America. That's what it's time for, and the divisive nature. Donald Trump knows this. He knows it, and he can't help himself. If this race is over, the fact that somebody who loses to him by 11 points in a state where she should perform well and 30 points in a state where she performs poorly and comes in third place in the Iowa caucuses. What's he, what's he screaming and yelling about? If I was him, I would want Nikki Haley in the race until it was long since over because she gives me the opportunity to continue to go fundraise among small do- small donors, which Donald Trump does better than anybody in American history. Donald Trump courts the little people, even if he isn't one. They think he is their foot soldier. So the longer that he has the opportunity to sit there and recruit and show his differences and his advantages over somebody in his own party, the better off he's going to be. But that message, the bird brain, the name calling, the her false statements and derogatory comments, Nikki Haley is a lot of things. Yeah, I don't disagree with the corporatism in the least. I don't have a problem with it. I get that some of you do. But why are you calling names? When you pick on a woman, the only woman in a race, you look small. And yes, I do ultimately think that that's who he is, but that's who he can't afford to be this time. He has to be able to continue to trot out what he is in favor of. Immigration in the United States of America is the number one issue. It's the number one issue by a mile. If you look at Texas and the fight that governor greg abbott is having with the biden administration and the supreme court and honestly when the supreme court said that it was an executive branch function to regulate the borders of the sovereignty of a state or the country i actually agreed with the ruling that the supreme court gave but it's a legislative conversation it belongs in the united states congress and when the republicans wouldn't put anything in the in the omnibus bill or the continuing resolution for funding the southern border if it wasn't tied to Ukraine and if it wasn't tied to Israel, it was a huge and totally massive mistake because they have to have the Republican caucus and the Republican Congress to do it. And the Republicans lay down all the time. There are very big fundamental issues that President Trump, the people actually trust him on and that people actually should trust him on. I hope the next time around he is a far more advantageous and adept navigator of the United States Congress than he has shown himself to be. But it's also going to be time to put one foot in front of the other and govern, and you cannot sit there and govern if you are taking really respected people like Nikki Haley or the previous week with Vivek Ramaswamy talking about how they were bad for America and this and that. Man, he's already got them beat. So act like you're a winner. That's what winners do. They show up. They act like they are supposed to be there. They say all the right things. They don't make unforced errors, and they don't ever punch down. You can catch The Ben Burnett Show on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays this past week, I had Kathy Cox. Kathy is the president of Georgia College and State University. Kathy was also the former secretary of state of the state of Georgia, before Raffensperger, before Brian Kemp, and she tells so many good stories about what the state used to be in her relationship with former governor and United States Senator Zell Miller. Georgia College is very lucky to have her. You can download that at the podcast parker. You can get it on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, any of them. You follow me on Twitter at Ben Burnett. You can follow me on Instagram at the Ben Burnett Show. Coming up in the second segment, we are going to unpack the state of the economy and how the Republican message probably needs to change just a little bit. This is Extra 106.3. We will be right back.
2: Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. A lifetime
0: of hard work,
2: children laughing in the kitchen,
0: family photos on a restaurant wall,
1: Welcome back to the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3, Atlanta's only conservative talk station. I am grateful to absolutely everybody. We are going to step back from Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And one of my favorite things to do is talk about how everybody on planet Earth, with respect to American politics, is a disingenuous actor. Republicans and Democrats are alike. They're both incredibly adept at making the other side the boogeyman. They have been, they always will be. Nothing ever changes. Nothing changes in Washington. At this point, when I was a kid, I thought, you know, I might like to go to Washington, D.C. and be one of the 435 members of Congress. And then I realized that all I'd have at my disposal was people on the radio yelling at me about whether or not I should be paid less money because I didn't drive results. The truth is, is that America is in a very difficult place. They're not at a difficult place because the Democrats are right, the Democrats are wrong, the Republicans are right, or the Republicans are wrong. Everybody has taken the opportunity to do nothing and here we are. 30 something trillion dollars in debt. We have a massive deficit in the United States of America. In the last, honestly, in the last 4 years, that's gone from a 1 trillion dollar number to a 2 trillion dollar number and it's easy to sit there and blame the Biden administration because they're guilty. The Trump administration and Mitch McConnell in the United States Senate with the COVID stimulus money, he was guilty. The last time there was a really genuine conversation in this country about the direction and the entitlement reform or the foreign aid reform or anything, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're on the left. I don't care if you're on the right. I think George W. Bush was wrong for a lot of things. The war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, all of it. I think at this point, we don't think we know that was a bad decision. There were a lot of people who came back in really bad shape, and we owe it to those people that we send into harm's way to take care of them. The thing that George W. Bush was willing to do was look at Social Security and Medicare reform. He actually was. He told you that it was unsustainable. And look, at this point, this is 20 years ago. This is the last time Americans had the opportunity to look at somebody who was willing to tell them the truth. And we did nothing. Our Congress did absolutely nothing. In that moment, George W. Bush said, we ought to privatize Social Security and let people control a little bit more of their own destiny. And bureaucrats, look, I know this from locally elected office. When we had 401k plans and defined benefit plans and pension plans, I was one of the guys who was like, we ought to give people more options to do it. The finance administration of the city of Alpharetta was like, we can't let these little people access their money. Who God knows what they're going to wind up doing with it. To be honest with you, I'm a conservative. I don't care. If you want to waste it and invest it all in treasuries, go for it. If you want to invest in real estate, control your own destiny. That's a core tenant in a platform of the Republican Party. I get that th- a lot of that's tied to index funds. I get that it's designed to be conservative, to save people from themselves. But Bush was willing to let you privatize a certain amount of those dollars, and it was the right thing to do because it let the federal government off the hook with things that we couldn't afford then. And if you didn't think we could afford it then, wait until the war in Afghanistan and Iraq gets in full swing, and then wait until we start printing COVID stimulus money, and then wait until it goes from one to $2 trillion in deficit spending and by the end of the next decade, that'll be $3 trillion or $4 trillion. It is unsustainable. If you look 30 years from today on the current path, if we didn't change one single thing about the way we operate, Social Security, Medicare, entitlements, Department of Defense funding, all of it, will have a $116 trillion debt on this country. That's really not that hard to believe. You know, m- the math says money's dollars compound every eight years. So if you essentially take four compounding cycles, you're about there. But when you use that logic, it's a scary thing for all of us. And look, I'm still, I'll, I'll be 70 years old in 30 years. And I'm looking at that. There are two solutions to this problem and neither of them are easy. And at the same time, before I offer those two solutions to you, I want you to know Congress is never going to change their behavior for one reason. They want you to be fatter and happier, even if it is not solvent. And it doesn't become insolvent until the banking system that lends money determines that the United States Federal Reserve, our Congress, our United States of America, is no longer the most credit-worthy environment to invest in in the world. That says more about the rest of the world than it ever possibly could for America to address that you are either going to have to cut the federal budget in half and we have infrastructure obligations and we have entitlement reform and we have a department of defense that we want to keep that we want to keep up with and everybody it's really easy to go on twitter and say there's no foreign aid tax the rich cut welfare raise immigration cut immigration defund the war in ukraine fund the war in ukraine everybody has this like magical pill that you can take that's going to fix it the guys on the morning show are super guilty of saying the Ukraine funding would solve a lot of problems in this country and we ought, to, we ought to fund those obligations here. That's fine, but you can't have that conversation because it's a symptom of an overall problem that America has. What's really happening right now is that our Congress chooses to do absolutely nothing, which more or less likely sets us up in the long term to double middle-class taxes – Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders say we ought to just raise rates on the top 1% of people. If we just raise it by 2%, it would solve a lot of problems. It's total crap. I'm not saying that that's not ultimately where it's going to land. I'm just telling you that's one of five or six or seven things that's ultimately going to change. Donald Trump and Joe Biden both want people happy. You saw this past week, the growth in the fourth quarter, was over 3%. It was honestly closer to 4%. Year over year, adjusted for inflation. The economy, as it stands today, is actually humming along. I have a huge problem with people who give disingenuous arguments on what the right solution is or that the economy is in terrible shape. Look, the economy was in really uncertain shape for years. 2020, 2021. We printed a bunch of money. The markets took off like a rocket ship. Everybody made money. You had to literally have your money invested in cash to not make money in 2021. 2022 was a little bit slower, but you saw in 2023, it was right back where it started. I don't think people are quite used to paying more for a carton of eggs or a gallon of milk. I don't. I think that they're still used to what it was some 10 years ago, really five years ago. And I think that they hold politicians responsible. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren telling you that there's one solution, not being honest with you. The truth is, and this is hard to say, and this is why people who tell you the truth can't get elected. And it's why people like George W. Bush try to force a conversation with you around entitlements and around social security reform and nobody wants to do anything. Because everybody's gonna have to hurt if this is gonna get right everybody me you the rich the poor all of us you're going to look at Scandinavian style tax if the united states federal reserve board is ever recognized by the banks the investment banks in this country the j p morgan chase and the morgan stanley and those guys you're going to see everything about how we do business change the only reason that they get away with it in Scandinavian countries is because their gdp is smaller There's less people. There are not as many zeros. What we have here, it's unfixable. You're not going to be able to allow, and look, I'm an advocate for immigration reform in this country. I am. I think it's the right thing to do. I'm not in favor of amnesty. I'm in favor of allowing immigrants who want to take jobs that Americans don't want to do. I'm in favor of letting them in this country so that we can know who they are, that they can pay a disproportional, yes, I said disproportional, tax rate, so that our quality of life can remain somewhat static so that we can see better days ahead. And I think those are the first people who should pay a little bit more. I don't think it's the poor Americans. I don't think it's the middle class. I don't think it's the uber rich. I think getting your hands around immigration is one of the five things that we have to do. But if I sat there on a lectern or on a debate stage and I told you what actually had to happen for the United States to get its house in absolute, tip top fiscal shape so that we could be a country that could walk and chew gum in 10 years, you're not going to like what anybody has to say. And that's what's wrong. It's easy to blame immigration for, for skyrocketing costs. It is really easy to say that the uber rich don't pay enough in taxes. I'm telling you, and this is really a thing that would make me totally unelectable, is that the American government, has no choice but to put absolutely everything on the table and make everybody contribute and make everybody pay more. And that is not a sustainable strategy. I say it one of my hallmark calling card phrases. People in this world do whatever the hell they want to do until it is time for you to ultimately do what you have to do. I think everybody in America has the opportunity you're born with certain unalienable rights. I think you get to choose your vocation. I think that that vocation ultimately changes if you go take $200,000 in student loan debt and the unintended consequences of that decision are going to hamstring the next 15 or 20 years of your life. And then you have to go get a job in order to pay those loans, have a mortgage, get married, have kids. Things come off the table because you no longer get to do what you ultimately wanted to do. There's a thousand other things. Everybody's like, well, we could just legalize marijuana. Look, if you legalize marijuana, and and this is nationwide, and I am not an advocate of this. There's plenty of people out there that are like, well, that's a solution. Look, I'm not saying that we're not going to have to get there. But do you know what it would take if we were to tax that proportional to what we tax alcohol? Every single American, 330 million of us, would have to smoke 200 pounds of weed a year. And if you did that and it was taxed like it's alcohol is taxed, do you know how much weed you would actually have to smoke and how much revenue that would be recognized by the federal government? $20 billion. It's nothing. You look at the $50 billion that goes to Ukraine, I mean, that's not even a decimal point on an interest rate payment. Neither is marijuana. Neither is the sin taxes like alcohol and tobacco. But you can take it a step further. There's a lot of tax-exempt entities in the United States of America. Churches are one. If you started to tax the churches on what they made, and look, I'm not saying this is it either. I'm telling you everything is going to have to be on the table. But if you taxed churches and colleges and universities and university endowments on capital gains, you're going to generate about 40 or $50 billion on all of it. It's still not moving the needle. It's not moving a decimal point. There's nothing that we can do in one single fail swoop. It's not taxing churches. It's not legalizing weed. It's not raising taxes on tobacco. It's it's literally all of those things and raising tax rates on middle-class Americans and raising tax rates on poor Americans and raising tax rates on the richest among us. And it also probably includes getting rid of the capital gains rate. The uber-wealthy in this country, and I'm not sitting here telling you I'm uber-wealthy But I'm a capital gains guy. And there's a reason why I hold assets for over a year because I don't want it taxed as ordinary income. I don't want to pay 32, 34, 40%. I would rather pay 20 or 15. And if you hold an asset for over a year, you get the benefits of reducing your taxes by some 15 points. There are so many things that we have to be able to do. And it's not one of them. It is literally all of them. It is going to be a fundamental shift in the way that we look at things. And America has challenges. I talk about technology and artificial intelligence because I know it. I come out of a background where I am one of the more familiar people you will ever talk to about the capabilities that technology has. But as these baby boomers are dying off, how many of you work in jobs where you have thought about it over the course of the last couple of years? And you're worried about artificial intelligence. Look, when I generate legal documents, I, and I'm a guy, I, I swear to you, I have become my own paralegal. I don't because I don't want to pay two hundred dollars an hour to have somebody generate a document that is ninety five percent as good as what I as what I can generate through ChatGPT. You give them the details, you give them the address, you give them the term sheet. It will literally read the thing for you. Or does the opposing counsel usually mark up what I send them? Yeah, but it's pretty straightforward. Most of us deal in absolute plain English. Like if I send somebody a term sheet, you could be an 18-year-old and be able to fundamentally read it, comprehend it, understand it, mark it up, change the things you wanted to change, and send it back to me. We just took somebody who's worth seventy-five or or $100,000 a year, and we took them straight off the payroll because we're all going to deal with that. The United States government right now is having the wrong conversation with artificial intelligence. We have a bunch of Western nations who want to play by the same set of rules. Do you know who doesn't want to play by any of the same set of rules? China, Russia, North Korea, Iran. They want every strategic advantage that they can ultimately hold over Americans because that's what the free market ultimately does. If we play by a certain set of standards and our adversaries play by another, it's only going to put us further down. And while all of these countries are figuring out how to better harm the United States of America, one thing is abundantly clear. We don't have answers because we're not having the right conversation as Americans. I'll be the first person. I will, I will sit here on my high horse of inclusivity and tell you, It's going to take more out of absolutely everybody. And by the time Congress gets here, I'm afraid it's going to ultimately be too late. And what's even worse is your congressman or your congresswoman or your United States senator, they know it too. And they have the conversations internally every single day because they know on both sides of the aisle, Republican or Democrat, that they are screwing all of us. It is about getting elected to the next cycle. It's about maintaining the status quo and power and having the fight that they want you to have. They want to scare you with the fact that they want to let open borders control America. Well, that's a huge problem, but it is nothing in comparison to the longevity of our balance sheet and our credit worthiness. And we deserve as Americans to have a sound border. You look also this week at Governor Greg Abbott, who the federal government has took, taken his razor wire and his border security measures and said that Texas didn't have the sovereign right to defend its border. And the Supreme Court ruled 5-4, and honestly, it was bipartisan both ways, that the United States federal government was in charge of funding and securing our border. I do not blame Governor Greg Abbott for doing what he did because he's shown you the holes in the game. I actually really appreciate that. But when he filed the lawsuit, he was a part of the lawsuit that the federal government was a part of in 2023 at the end with the Eagle Pass fiasco and the 10,000 migrants a day coming across the border. He knew damn well when he filed that lawsuit that he was going to lose. But he was doing the right thing by the future of the Republican Party and showing you that in order to codify something, the federal government was content to do absolutely nothing. Do you notice a reoccurring theme that exists? States' rights have never been more important in this country than they are in 2024. In fact, if you look back, this is something that most people can't comprehend in 2024. Did you know that most motivated politicians in the late 1700s and early 1800s found their notoriety at the state house because the 10th amendment was one of the most important things that you could do. And there were very big discrepancies with trade and how we treated one another as Southern states and mid Atlantic states and Northern states. And it was a meritocracy that America had. And it ultimately became a bigger, more polarizing issue at the top with the federal government. But that's something that has really changed in the last Since the Civil War, when Congress became even more powerful, they used to delegate almost every single possible authority to the states. But even at the same time, Governor Greg Abbott knew when he sued the federal government over not allowing Mexicans and Central Americans, to be fair. and Honestly, these people are all over the world, so don't give me a bunch of hate mail over the fact that I just said Mexicans. He knew he was going to lose the lawsuit. Because the federal government's core job is to protect the sovereignty of the American soil. And they don't want to do it for one reason. Joe Biden ultimately knows that in 2024, he is going to lose a presidential election. That's why you have seen the Democrats essentially put the man in hiding again. They're not really out there campaigning in any sort of vivacious way. He knows it's over. And he, his job, as he sees it on behalf of his party, is to allow enough people into this country for the future of their party. It is not the best thing for the future of this country, but it is the best thing if you believe that people of color always vote for the Democrats, then you should understand the long game that he is playing on behalf of the party. I totally and completely disagree with the decision, but I also totally and completely agree with the fact that the Supreme Court is not supposed to legislate. They're supposed to say that a law is constitutional. And to be honest with you, the state of Georgia does not have the fundamental resounding right to secure its border against the people of Alabama. And that's essentially what the state of Texas was trying to put forward an argument about. They were trying to say that it was the sovereign border of Texas. When you read the first couple of articles in the United States Constitution— It was the politics that get played with the judicial system. And I give Greg Abbott a ton of credit for having the courage to file that lawsuit to show the gaping hole that exists within Congress. But it doesn't exist in Congress like you think it does. You've seen in recent weeks and months, Henry Cuellar, who is a congressman who has a bunch of Southern Texas, a conservative-leaning Democrat. There's not much of a place for him anymore. And you've seen Ted Cruz put forth an immigration plan that would allow Texas the opportunity and the funding resources to secure the southern border the way that, bipartisanly, they believe that it needs to be secured. I'm always willing to give the other side credit when they do things right. You hear me talk about it every once in a while when John Ossoff drops his stock trading ban bill. You have to be objective and willing to look at the other side and say, I don't agree with you on these 45,000 things. But on these five, I think we have common ground, and I think we have a rational, healthy, good conversation that can come about. You can download The Ben Burnett Show on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays, I do long-form interviews. This past week, I had Kathy Cox, who was the longtime Secretary of State in the state of Georgia. She was a Democrat, but she says a bunch of things. She walks you through yesteryear. She talks about her relationship with former Governor Zell Miller, who put the Hope Grant in place, She talks about her relationship with Sam Nunn when he was a member of the Georgia General Assembly. She talks about people that have really laid a solid blueprint that honestly had conservative leanings. I I would wonder if Zell Miller, who quit caucusing with the Democrats when he became the appointed senator by Governor Roy Barnes, he quit talking to the Democrats. He found that on a national stage, the man was more of a Republican. I bet you a guy like Sam Nunn feels much the same way who loved our Department of Defense. I have some really great interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. I think you're going to be super excited to listen to how things get done. We're going to have you remember Kenneth Cheeseborough, who was who cut a plea deal with Fulton County and pled guilty to some misdemeanors. We're going to have his criminal defense lawyer on the show to talk about the foundational changes that they wanted to see out of Funny Willis and her bogus lawsuits that she's filed against 19 people who really just thought they were doing the right thing by the American people. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ben Burnett. You can follow me on Instagram, at The Ben Burnett Show. Coming up in the next segment, we are going to talk about the economy and the shifting strategy that the Republicans need to take. My name is Ben Burnett. This is Extra 1063, Atlanta's only conservative talk station. We will be right back.
0: First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.
2: Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.
1: This is the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3 Atlanta's only conservative talk station. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Burnett. You can follow me on Instagram at the Ben Burnett show. Not much of a Facebook user, but you can find me there too. I have real fundamental problems with a handful of things. And and one of them is the quote unquote, like one world government. And I don't, I'm, I'm a pretty adamant defender of America. I think we look out for ourselves. I think that that's by and large, always the right thing to do. I also think sometimes we look out for people that really truly don't deserve it. The United States has a sworn adversarial relationship with the country of Iran. And Washington, this came out Thursday afternoon in the Wall Street Journal, that ISIS was carrying out a terrorist attack in the in the sovereign borders of Iran, and the US secretly alerted Iran of an ISIS attack that was going to take place. The Wall Street Journal goes on to say, The confidential alert came after a U.S. acquired intelligence that the Islamic State affiliation in Afghanistan, form of ISIS known as ISIS-K, was plotting to attack Iran. American officials called Iran, passed the information along, specific enough that they knew the location sufficiently and timely, and it might prove useful in Tehran to thwart a an attack on January 3rd that mitigated a quote-unquote casualty toll. Iran didn't necessarily heed the warnings, failed to prevent the suicide bombings in the southern town of Kerman, and it targeted a crowd that was commemorating the an- anniversary of Kasim Soleimani, of all people. That's how things come full circle sometimes. You remember Donald Trump just straight-up drone that man out of the sky when, in, the, in his second or third year of his presidency. that It had happened right before COVID. Why do we feel an obligation to look out for everybody? If the if the situation was exactly reversed, I have an incredibly difficult time thinking that Iran would look out for the United States with respect to ISIS. I can't prove that one way or the other, but I do think it is awfully strange that there's just there's no way that's a reciprocal relationship. None. I don't I know that recognize Right, wrong, or indifferent, President Biden's administration has a more friendly relationship with Iran than Donald Trump's did. And that ain't saying a whole lot. I don't think President Biden goes out of his way to make Iran's life easy. I think they probably pay him off a little bit more. But I'm not sitting there. I'm not going to accuse anybody. Why on earth would the CIA sit there and do anything to prevent an attack within Iran, even if it is ISIS? Even if they don't listen, what is the underlying purpose for looking out for people that are in that part of the world that have those values that sit under that regime? Like, man, let it happen. I don't care. I don't care about a lot. I really don't. Like, there's you can take or leave most of the things that you hear foreign or domestically. I'm not a big NATO guy. I'm not a big United Nations guy. I don't like to see innocent civilians get killed. And I guess that's the only real logical argument that you could make. The United States wanted to have a relationship where they're like, look, we don't like you, Iran, but we really like ISIS even less. To me, that's the only logical explanation that you could possibly make. And, and to me, if you look, it's it's just so far reaching. When I saw that, I was honestly like, I still don't know how I feel about that. And I don't like that the United States government sits there and looks to be the world's terrorist prevention unit. But at the same time, I struggle with it. It's like you don't want to see innocent civilians killed. Suicide bombings are bad. Like there are things that none of us fundamentally disagree with. But I want to have relationships with people that are reciprocal. And we don't have that with Iran. And until something about that changes, I really, I hate when bad things happen to good people. But at the end of the day, is it really our problem? Is it my problem? Why do we have resources? We're monitoring ISIS's We are we really monitoring what ISIS is doing in a country that's our sworn enemy? Who would get rid of the United States of America in a heartbeat if they had the opportunity to do it? All else is equal, I think the answer to that question is no. The final thing I want to get to, and we've alluded to it in previous segments, everybody has said for years that the United States is going to enter a recession, and in 2022. We saw the stock market end lower than it ended in 2021. There are a variety of reasons for that. The COVID printing stimulus dollars, inflation, consumer spending was a little bit down. People were uncertain about what was going to happen. 2023, though, was an anomaly. And it's a message that the Republican Party has to get their hands around because the world, the United States of America specifically, is not headed into a recession The economy expanded 3.1% from the previous month in December due to strong consumer spending and hiring. The United States government has an unemployment rate that is down around 2%. There are literally over a million open jobs in this country. And we can't staff them all. We have an immigration problem. It doesn't seem to go away. I'm sure there are all kinds of ways to get around. E-verify and other things. I'm sure plenty of those people are here working We don't have track of all of them. They're using other people's social security cards, any number of things. The fact that we've seen inflation rise like we have over the previous couple of years, even though it's coming down now, the fact that consumer spending is so high is truly a testament to a resilient economy. And I've said said previously, I think the United States presidential election is surrounded by two things. One of them, I can honestly make a forthright good argument that the economy is due to the Biden administration. Listen, I don't actually believe that. I think the U.S. economy is successful in spite of the Biden administration. And the other one is our border with Mexico and the people from all over the world that are coming into this country. And I think even amongst left-leaning, marginally left-leaning Democrats, that is a huge loser for the Biden administration. They don't care to do anything about it. They're going to take as many people coming into this country as they can. They don't care about the borders. They don't care about who's in this country. At this point, if a Democrat stands up to defend the Biden administration's immigration conversation, it's totally hollow. It's a straw man if there ever was one. But I actually think the United States, but I actually think the Republican Party has to get a handle on the conversation we want to have around the Biden economy. And we have to do it in two ways. And this is what they are. We have to have a message as a party that says the Biden administration grew this economy at 3.1%. If we had been in charge, it would have been four and a half, it would have been five. And these are the reasons why. The second point that we should make is that the United States Republican Party is in favor of free trade. Donald Trump is not necessarily a free trade guy, but Congress is, but the Republicans in Congress are very in favor of free trade, which makes goods and services a lot cheaper. That is the message that we have to take forward into 2024 that we have to cast. The Biden economy is fine. They printed a ton of money. Things have looked up. It is not as bad. It is not as dreary as it was in 2024. But if you give us the keys, we will solve immigration, and we will grow the economy like we saw in the first two years of the Donald Trump administration. You can catch The Ben Burnett Show on Tuesdays and Thursdays Tuesdays, I do long-form interviews with people who create your perspective. Last week, I had Kathy Cox. Kathy was a longtime Secretary of State in the state of Georgia, Democrat, but she's a conservative-leaning one. This week, I've got John Roman from BattleBox. Plenty of people love prepper stuff and supplies. John's got a very interesting business model based in Suwannee, Georgia. They have tens of thousands of subscribers every single month for, for people who love outdoor adventure lifestyle stuff. I don't even know how else to put it. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Burnett. You can follow me on Instagram. Thank you so much for lending me part of your weekend. This is Extra 1063, Atlanta's only conservative talk station. We will see you guys next week. Make it a good one. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't
0: forget the Derby. I love the hats.